Hello, and welcome to the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma TraumaCast series. I'm your host, Dr. Bob Aksarani, Associate Professor of Surgery at the George Washington University. Joining us today is Dr. Shahid Shafi, Trauma and Critical Care Surgeon at Baylor Regional Medical Center. Dr. Shafi is a recognized expert in quality improvement, particularly as it relates to assessing trauma outcomes across various centers. Amongst his many articles, two appear especially interesting, and I appreciate the opportunity to discuss them today. The first article is titled, More Operations, More Deaths, Relationship Between Operative Intervention Rates and Risk-Adjusted Mortality at Trauma Centers. This article was presented at the 68th Annual Meeting of the American Association for the Surgery of Trauma in Pittsburgh in 2009 and appeared in the Journal of Trauma, Volume 69, Issue 1, page 70, July 2010. A second article is titled, Significant Variations and Mortality Occur at Similarly Designated Trauma Centers, and appears in the Archives of Surgery, Volume 144, Issue 1, pages 64 to 68, January 2009. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. I thought we'd start by um, asking you how you became interested in comparing trauma center outcomes uh, across centers on, on face value. It doesn't appear to be an easy thing to do. So how did you get an interest in this field and uh, how do you go about doing it? Well, I'll um, uh, start off with giving uh, a, a broader picture of, um, of what I consider to be the quality of care. Uh, back in the 90s, there was a report by the Institute of Medicine which was titled uh, Quality Chasm. And what that essentially showed was that there's a significant gap between what we know and what we practice. Now, trauma uh, care has been uh, actually at the cutting edge of uh, quality of care in medicine in the sense that we have placed a lot of emphasis uh, on what hospitals should be designated as trauma centers and where trauma patients should be taken to. In fact, trauma is unique in a lot of other, compared to a lot of other diseases. Uh, if you get injured on the street uh, and when the paramedics arrives in most of the states uh, which have a trauma system, you will not be transported to the, to the local hospital. You will be taken, you will in fact the paramedics will, in fact, bypass local hospitals to take the patient to a designated center, which is unlike any other disease right now. Uh, for 30 years, we have paid a lot of emphasis on uh, what resources should be provided, uh, should be available 24-7 at those trauma centers for the care of the injured. And there's extensive data that are available that shows that trauma patients that are cared for at designated trauma centers have better outcomes. In fact, your likelihood of survival is 25% higher uh, if you're treated at a designated trauma center. At the same time, we have several, we have this extensive body of science that has been developed that shows what treatment options work better. But then there is a gap, and the gap is between what we know and what we practice despite having adequate resources. So the, f the second study that you refer to in which I show significant differences. So the question that I asked myself was that if, if all these hospitals are designated as trauma centers, theoretically, uh, uh, they should have similar outcomes uh, after we control for differences in their patient population. 
And that was a surprising finding that was reported in that paper was that that is really not true, that even within designated trauma centers, the probability of a patient surviving or dying depends on which center they were treated at. And we don't know the reasons why. So that's a, that's a perfect lead off into uh, some of your actual publications. Because your publications found these types of differences despite trying to risk adjust uh, patient populations across various centers. So outside of these two studies, are there other studies that suggest that this is in fact an ongoing phenomenon? And, and I know you don't know exactly why there may be a difference, but some ideas? Uh, so there are really two questions in that statement. One is that has our work been replicated by others and have they found similar differences? And two is why are there differences? So to answer the first question, I would say yes. And in fact, the entire TQIP uh, project of the American College of Surgeons, which is the Trauma Quality Improvement Project, uh, multiple researchers have shown uh, that the risk-adjusted outcomes across designated centers are variable. Uh, and that forms the basis of the TQIP program, which is very similar to NISQIP program. So, so that is not surprising. In fact, uh, even in other diseases, uh, it has been shown that your quality of care varies from center to center. What is unique about trauma is that the quality of care varies despite having adequate resources. Because if, when you talk to most people, if, if you ask them what is the reason why you are unable to provide the care that is the patient's need, the number one answer is we don't have adequate resources. What is different about trauma center is that they have adequate resources, and when you look at designated centers, the presence and adequacy of those resources has been confirmed by an external body. But what our research shows that having resources is not enough. So that leads me to the second question is why, what are the reasons for differences? So if you look at the quality paradigm, um, if you have, there are really two components to achieving good quality, whether it's you're manufacturing any widget or a car or taking care of patients. You have to have appropriate resources to, to do what you're trying to do, and then you have to have appropriate processes of care in place to, take your res to translate your resources into good outcomes and good products. So now our research is focusing on those processes of care, and what we are beginning to see is that we are not providing the uh, all the processes of, of care that we're supposed to provide, and that may explain the differences in outcomes. And so this is really interesting. Um, the first paper I cited that we can kind of abbreviate the title to uh, More Operations, More Deaths, your group initially hypothesized that centers with good outcomes undertake critical mm -hmm. clinical interventions in a timely fashion mm -hmm. in comparison to centers with average or poor outcomes. Mm -hmm. But then you, you studied that. And you postulated that aggressive operative hemorrhage control and a use splenectomy, a very common, fairly easy operation. You postulated that aggressive operative hemorrhage control for high-grade splenic injury would result in improved outcomes. You reviewed 135,000 cases in 152 centers using the National Trauma Database. And you found the exact opposite to be true. So yes. specifically, you found that trauma centers with higher risk-adjusted mortality were more likely to undertake operative intervention for splenic and liver injuries. It's very interesting. It has to be controversial, and I'd love to get your views on it. Yeah, it is, it is clearly controversial, and especially because when I, uh, this, this, uh, I presented this work at a Society of Surgeons meeting, 
and I, uh, I'm not sure, I don't remember which society it was, but it was a group of surgeons that I presented to, and, uh, you know, people were up in arms about it. To me, the more interesting thing about that particular study was the variability in practices. If you looked at splenectomy rate from trauma center to trauma center, for similar severity of splenic injury, the splenectomy rate varied widely. And in fact, it's not surprising, you know, Dr. Mullins in the past had published a paper about 20 years ago which showed similar variations in practices. And I think to me that is a bigger problem. The bigger problem is that theoretically we all have the same knowledge base, but when it comes to actual practices, our practices are widely variable and we don't know why. So the other, whether more operations actually lead to more deaths uh, that is clearly a controversial statement, and it needs to be studied further uh, before I uh, before I make a causal link between more operative deaths, uh, more operations, and more deaths. We will have to do more prospective studies. Uh, but like I said, in my, in my from my point of view, the more important finding was our vari variability in practices. The operative rate on spleen varied from as little as 30% to as high as 70-80% splenectomies for similar type of injuries. And and your paper couldn't determine if the patients who finally underwent splenectomy mm -hmm. were sat on too long. Were those patients in more shock? Is that why operation equal death? That's that's presumably that. Uh, that was the case. Uh, in, in that particular study, we were not able to determine the actual time of uh, operation compared to time of injury. But presumably, with the success of non-operative management, we are sitting longer on patients with splenic solid organ injuries before we take operative intervention, and that is a potentially uh, can cause uh, you know, shock to set in before we actually uh, stop the hemorrhage, and that can lead to higher risk of death. But again, I would qualify that statement by saying that that's uh, not based on data. That's based on what we think is going on. And uh, similarly, we can't tell if perioperative management resulted in patient's demise, anesthesia care, ICU care, things like this. That's correct, which brings me back to the same point that we, we, we know what resources are available at these centers. All these are designated trauma centers. They all have 24-7 operating rooms available, anesthesiologists available, surgeons available, ICUs available. But the practices are different. And until we start measuring and quantifying how the care is actually being delivered. I'll give you an example. Uh, I'll actually quote another study to you. This was done by uh, McGlynn, and it was published in New England Journal of Medicine about in 2003. Uh, they looked at, their group looked at 30 uh, conditions. Uh, they were all medical diseases. They didn't have trauma in it. But they looked at 30 acute and chronic conditions, and they looked at a total of 439 processes of care. And they found that overall the compliance with those 439 processes in a nationwide sample of patients was 55%. In a smaller study that we have done at one center right now and then we are replicating it at three other centers, we are finding something similar in trauma. We have looked at 25 processes of care and these are very basic care. Things like are we giving blood to patients who are hypotensive? Do patients with uh, an intracranial bleed and low GCS who are intubated, are they being managed with an ICB monitors? 
Are we giving starting nutrition on day three? Are we starting DVT prophylaxis on day three? Things that we would consider standard of care, we found at this one center study that the overall compliance rate was 58%. And I think that's where the problem is. The problem is not in our scientific knowledge and the problem is not in our resources, but the gap, you know, there's a gap in translating our knowledge into practices. And therein lies the problem. So in the field of trauma, unfortunately, we're still very much hindered by a lot of retrospective studies and mm -hmm. very, very few prospective. The ones that are prospective in general are not really level one. They're not the multi-center, randomized, yep. blinded, adequately powered studies, et cetera. So throughout your papers, you use the papers to call for um, studies to identify and define processes of care. Previously, I talked to Michael Rhodes about um, clinical practice guidelines and mm -hmm. how do you get people to agree. So, so what do you say about trying to establish some uniformity of care so as to then measure the process of care mm -hmm. when there's really no good evidence base and how do you get people to agree? Well, um, a, a famous politician, and I won't name him because he may be controversial, uh, famously said once that you go to war with the army you have, not the army you want. So, uh, so, so we, it's, we, we work. We have to work with the data and the information that we have. Yes, in an ideal world, we will have prospective randomized control trial for every single intervention. But if you, if you look at some of the, uh, some of the, what is now considered common wisdom, that information was not based on randomized control trial. For example, there is not a single randomized control trial that shows smoking causes lung cancer. But we all know that it's true from large retrospective uh, studies. So I, I don't, it doesn't bother me that much that we don't have prospective randomized trial. Of course, it would be nice to have, but not every disease. And as, as surgeons, we know that. It, it's very hard to do prospective randomized control trials. So evidence is what it is, uh, but even the best evidence is, is useless unless we can actually uh, provided to our patients at the bedside routinely, not just at some you know high-flying ivory towers, but in routine clinical practices. And there are other studies that have shown a typical time lag of 17 years between from the time a discovery is made in medicine to the time it actually becomes routine practice. And we have to shorten that time for our patients. We cannot, our patients cannot wait 17 years for it to become routine practice. The other problem that comes up in trying to measure outcomes across centers, now referring more to the second paper you wrote, where, which looks to ask, are the outcomes at level one centers mm -hmm. equal? So in other words, is a level one, a level one, a level one, comparing three different hospitals, or does the level designation make a difference? Level designation can be given by a variety of different accrediting bodies. The American College of Surgeons obviously is probably the most uh, utilized, mm -hmm. but there are state-level designations in my mm -hmm. home state of Pennsylvania, and there are perhaps even more local designations. So if you were to try to extrapolate your information or maybe go back and do a larger retrospective study crossing state lines, crossing jurisdiction, how do you compare what a level one is to another level one when the accrediting body is different? No, that's a good point. And um, uh, the, the way I have addressed it in our research is now we have restricted our research to the centers that are ACS verified level one level one centers. Uh, I'm from 
Texas, and Texas has a statewide trauma system and their own designation system, but for level one centers, they use ACS criteria. So I think we will, uh, you're right, that's in certain states may be different, but most places I think either you will use ACS criteria or will use some minor modification of that. And we can look at that, but I don't, I don't think, quite frankly, I don't think the issue is not having enough resources. I think we have enough resources to take care of our patients, whether they are designated level one by the state or by ACS. Uh, availability of resources is not the problem. The real problem is how do those re how are those resources utilized to provide the care that is that is advocated in our practice guidelines. And that's interesting because another paper you wrote found that centers with poor outcome for a particular type of injury had poor outcome for other types of injuries, and, and probably the opposite is true. And uh, I, I can only assume that this is related at least to appropriate use of resources uh, rather than just having the resources there mm -hmm. sitting on the shelf. Yeah, that, that particular study, the, the impetus behind that study was, you know, was, again, you know, typically we would hear People say that, well, you know, we are good at certain things because uh, we have more volume of that, but we may not perform well in other areas because of X, Y, and Z. And the, what that particular paper showed was, and we looked at three different types of injuries, uh, blunt single system injuries, blunt multi-system injuries, and penetrating injuries, and we, and we measured their risk-adjusted mortality uh, in those um, three areas, three groups of patients. And what it essentially showed was that if you were a good trauma center, you performed well in all three. And if you had poor performance in one of those categories, you're more than more likely than not you had poor performance in other categories, which takes us to uh, the my, my basic premise of my research is that um, certain institutions have a culture of quality and certain institutions don't. Now, instinctively, we know that. And in fact, if you, I've talked to uh, some of the people who routinely uh, do site surveys for the College of Surgeons, uh, and if you ask them, they can they will tell you that you know we can typically within a few hours of spending some time at, at a center they can tell if it's a good center or not. Uh, and there's something about the culture, local culture, which if which um, which affects how their patients are treated. Uh, now we need it's it's not good enough for us to say that I have a gut feeling that you're not doing well. I think we need to be able to measure it and we need to be able to report it and we need to be able to provide some guidelines and you know what TQIP is doing is great what are these initial studies showed in terms of variations and outcomes is great but that information is useless unless we can go to the poor performing centers and say okay this is the reason why your performances can be better so where do things stand now if I'm a trauma director mm -hmm. and I I think my outcomes are pretty good maybe they can be better how can I benchmark my center in real time, and how do I go about finding out why I'm not as good as I want to be or the guy next door? I think the first step to do in that direction would be to, to participate in TQIP. Uh, what TQIP does is... Uh, just, can't just, what is TQIP? Yes, uh, so TQIP is Trauma Quality Improvement Program. It's put together by the College of Surgeons Committee on Trauma. And basically what it does is, uh, and I think their annual participation cost is about $9,000 a year for each center. And what that uh, basically provides you is uh, they, they will take um, the same data that you submit to NTDB, 
uh, and we will extract uh, patients uh, who meet TQIP criteria, which is basically adult patients with moderate to severe injuries, AIS-3 or higher injuries, and they will benchmark uh, your outcomes uh, to um, other centers with similar patients who also participate in TQIP. And the last uh, I checked, the number of participants is close to 100 now. So that provides you a risk-adjusted benchmark report of your outcome, and you also get the outcome report for certain subgroups like blunt single-system injury, blunt multi-system injury, penetrating injuries, head injuries, patients in shock. So you can benchmark yourself to see where you are compared to other centers in different types of uh, patients. And these are customizable dashboards, or these are reports that are fed uh, by the ACS? Right now, these are reports that are sent by the by ACS, but in the near future, hopefully, there will be a real-time dashboard that you could you would be able to query. Uh, the other thing that TQIP is doing, which I think is more important, is um, uh, we're adding certain process fields, process of care fields, um, which will require additional data collection by trauma centers, but it will start pointing out, we'll be able to then figure out the actual delivery of care, and that may be able to help the centers improve their care if they are not performing well on their benchmark reports. So I think lest we be accused of maybe downplaying the importance of um, resource allocation and trauma center verification a little bit too much, uh, it's probably important to discuss at least a couple of studies that validate that trauma centers improve mortality mm -hmm. following injury over non-trauma centers. It gets back to the, one of the first points you made today about the 25% reduction in mortality. Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, I think what, we, uh, what we are seeing now is a level of maturity that has, uh, that has allowed us to actually start delving deep, more deeply into our practices. Uh, the, we couldn't have talked about the kind of stuff that we are talking about unless the trauma systems and the trauma center verification program was, was, working, was not working so successfully. So what we are doing now is really building upon the work that has been done for the previous 30 years, and it's a testament to the success of trauma systems and trauma center designation process. Uh, there is no question in anybody's mind, I think, that... Uh, for, from the patient's point of view, you, it's, you're better off being treated at a trauma center. There's plenty of data to show that. Uh, what we are doing now is we are, we are looking at how we can improve the quality even more. Because, in fact, there was a real, there was a time period that we went through which, uh, which probably didn't last more than five or ten years where people started saying that, you know, the trauma care is as good as it's going to get. In fact, there was some, some, some paper published with the title that as good as it gets. And what uh, they were saying is that certain number of deaths, certain number of complications is just the cost of doing business. Uh, what we are saying is no, that's not the cost of doing business. We can do better. We can do better for our patients. We can do better for, our, for, for, for trauma systems by delving more deeply uh, into uh, how we are practicing and where the opportunities for improvements are. So do you think five years, ten years from now, mm -hmm. um, if, if I'm coming up for re-verification as a trauma center, they, the verifying body will look not just at how many neurosurgeons I have, how many uh, fancy <coughs> machines I have, but rather how I use them? Um, my personal feeling or bias or uh, opinion is that uh, the answer to that question is no. That, that 
your we want to build inclusive trauma systems okay so any in my mind any hospital that says i want to be a trauma center i res- our response to them should be sure let me help you so as long as they're willing to provide all the resources and willing are uh, willing to participate in performance improvement activities i think we should include them in trauma in trauma systems and uh, in, in des- as a designated or verified trauma center provided they meet all the resource criteria where the tqip reports and the quality measures come in place is that they have to be willing to participate in it okay i don't think we should say to a, a trauma center that is not performing as well as as uh, their their peer trauma centers are doing i don't think we should exclude these centers i think we should help them so so we have a me- better more inclusive system because the reality is that whenever we are going to benchmark you are being benchmarked against your peers that's a moving target and and that's actually it, it, the way it's designed is that the target is just going to keep rising higher and higher and higher so there will always be centers just by statistical probability there will be some centers which are below that your target and some centers above the target but our goal is to keep moving the target higher and higher as the quality improves at the best centers but they will bring poor performing centers up and up and higher with them so relying not so much on competition mm-hmm. but rather on benevolence uh what i would say is you know what again this is this comes from um, i wouldn't call it benevolence in the sense that we are not ignoring them we are not um uh we are not trying to uh push anything under the rugs uh, but what we are saying is that uh, the uh, i have confidence that the higher the standard that we set for ourselves i have i'm confident that we'll meet that standard but the question is we have to have a standard but the tqip data mm-hmm. and other outcome measures are all uh de-identified only you as the local hospital know yes. who you are that's correct so the onus ultimately is on you to improve yes at at this stage but as we develop more process measures you will at least know uh where you're lagging in processes and and then you can improve on them the other thing that that tqip will allow you to do is that you can if there's a particular area for example you know bad head injuries where your care is lagging uh once you know which patients to target you can go look at those charts and see why or how well, I guess and, and that was the point I was driving at is I wonder if the day will come that the verifying body says listen uh, pull, pull a couple of tqip reports and give mm-hmm. them to me yes i think that day will come but i don't think that will have a bearing on on the verification or i hope it doesn't because i i don't think we want uh, we want to encourage people to participate we want to encourage to people and centers to report their weaknesses and we want to help them uh, improve their quality of care All right, well listen, this has been a fascinating discussion I think on measuring uh outcomes mm-hmm. amongst the trauma centers uh discussing some I think very controversial perhaps <laughs> paradoxical findings that you have on mm-hmm. your papers. We've been speaking today with Dr. Shahid Shafi regarding measuring quality in trauma. I'd like to again thank you and your colleagues uh for the work you're doing in this field and thank you in particular for taking the time to share your uh, views with us. This concludes another edition of the East Traumacast. For copyright information and disclaimers, please visit us at east.org. For the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma, I'm Dr. Babak Sarani.